One of the questions people are asking at the moment is whether the coronavirus will mean that we see a baby boom in a few months' time. Some demographers are saying that we will because couples are stuck at home and contraceptives aren't as freely available as they used to be and inevitably A leads to B and there'll be more babies being born. However, other experts are saying no, if anything, we'll see a decline in the rate of births because people tend to avoid getting pregnant during times of uncertainty, and this is certainly an uncertain time. It's a question that we're all also asking spiritually. Is this a time when we will see more spiritual babies being born? And certainly, as far as Gateway Church goes, I'd love to see more of both. It'd be great to have some physical babies being born to couples in the church, and we are just desperate to see more spiritual babies being born too. Now, today's passage is about becoming children of God. We're starting a new series in the Gospel of John. This is a series which we had planned before the coronavirus struck, and it's a message that we need to hear. We can't be quite certain, but we think the Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John, from the city of Ephesus towards the end of the first century. So John by this stage would have been an old man and, and the events he recounts would have been some decades uh, after they happened. The Gospel of John is quite different in style from the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh, John has different emphases and writes in a different way and we're going to be looking at stories from the first 12 chapters of this Gospel. And the theme of this series, what we're going to be looking at, is how Jesus is true and better. Jesus is true and better. This is John's claim, and this is our claim too, that Jesus is true. That there is truth, absolute truth, and we need to hear that truth, and the truth is found in Christ. And that Jesus is better. Of all the things that we value, or all the things that we look to find value in, Jesus is better than they are. Now, those are big claims. They're very big claims. And the aim of this series, well, it's twofold. One aim is for those who are followers of Jesus, we want you to be encouraged and built up in your faith in Jesus as we look at his claim to be true and better. And for those of you who aren't yet followers of Jesus, I'm hoping that you will consider the claims of Christ, weigh them up, uh, assess them, and come to a decision about how you respond to them. Now we're going to start at the beginning of the Gospel, John chapter 1, and here we have some of the deepest and most profound theology of the Bible. We're going to spend a few minutes unpacking it, and I hope that we'll see how it's about life, new life, and eternal life. It's about true and better life. And we need to hear this message. So let's begin. We're going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now we're halfway through April, we're well into spring and anticipating summer, 
just around the corner. But these verses are often read in midwinter. They're often read at Christmas. And we have the image in our minds, I'm sure, of a candle being lit in a dark room and the beautiful light that a candle shines in the middle of winter. Now, this is a dark time in our world. And to be honest, I've had some pretty dark days this week. It's been one of those weeks when the darkness has felt fairly pressing. But what John says here in this passage is the light shines. Some of the words he uses are important ones. I just want to write them up to help fix them in our minds. There's this word, shines. And what we need to really think about is the z, the s on the end of shines. It's not that he did shine. It's not that he used to shine. It's not that he was shining before. It's the light shines now and always. More than that, John says, this light is the origin of all things. And as he begins this gospel, John is deliberately replaying, recasting the very first words of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, the very first words of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 1 are, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And here in John chapter 1, John begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word. Through him all things were created. In the beginning, that phrase, English phrase, in the beginning, actually in Hebrew, is where we get the word Genesis from. It means beginnings, origins. And so John here is saying that this word is the Genesis, the origin, and this word is the one who shines. The word creates all things, the word gives life to all things, and the word shines with inextinguishable light. This is the word that is true and better. John doesn't give this word a name until we get to verse 17 of this passage, and we'll get to that in a few minutes' time. But, of course, we already know who John is talking about. He, of course, is talking about Jesus. John here is describing how Jesus shines with inexpressible, inextinguishable light. Now, in this book, John's going to go on to describe some dark scenes. He's, of course, as the other gospel writers do, going to get to the cross, the crucifixion of Christ. He's going to describe a time when life ended and light was extinguished. But right at the beginning of his gospel, John wants us to see that life ending and light being extinguished isn't the last word, actually isn't the case what he says here, right at the beginning, is the darkness has not overcome the light. The darkness has not overcome the light. This is a true and better word that we need to hear. Let's read the next part of the passage, verses 6 through to 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. 
he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. In our passage, before John names Jesus, he names another John. It's not the same John, these are two Johns, John who's writing and John who John is speaking about. And the John whom John is describing here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist who describes himself as being not the light, but a witness to the light. John was a bit like a, a comet. Think how dramatic and how significant a comet is. We rarely see them when we do. They're amazing things. But when the sun comes up, the comet becomes invisible. I remember years ago now when the Hale-Bopp comet came by and we would go out to look at it and of course you'd go at night. As soon as the sun came up in the morning, the comet became invisible. And John is described in something of those terms. He comes as a witness to the light. He just appears briefly in this account. And then he disappears once the sun rises, once Jesus appears. John's entire purpose in life was to witness to the coming light. There's a bit of a reality check for us in this. Because everyone's life bears witness to someone or to something. Everybody's life tells a story. Each of our lives tells a story of what is most important to us. And this is a good question to ask ourselves, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, it's a good question to ask. What story does my life tell? What story does my life witness? What do people read in me? What do people see in me? What's the story my life tells? It's a very revealing question. That question of John, the answer clearly was, it's all about the light who is coming. That's was, that was John's purpose. That was his reason, his purpose in life. John's very intentional in his witness. He wants everyone to believe in the light is coming. The light is coming, he says. Believe in the one who is coming. And the thing which is shocking, the thing which is brought out in our passage as shocking, is that so many people failed to believe in the one who is coming, failed to respond to John's message and failed to respond to the light, despite the light being the word, the Genesis word who had given life to all. Even the light's own people didn't recognize and receive him. There's a, a kind of a, a spiritual blindness, a refusal to open eyes and to see the light. If that's the case, what hope is there? What hope is there for us? It might be that you're watching this and thinking, I just can't believe. It might be even that you're a Christian, a follower of Christ at this time. You're really wrestling, struggling with belief because of all that is going on. Maybe not having fellowship with other Christians in the way that you normally do is contributing to that and all the stuff that's going on in the world and maybe you're just wrestling with belief and struggling to belief or maybe you're not a follower of Christ maybe you're kind of wanting to be but also not wanting to be maybe there's that struggle wrestle within within you of wanting to believe but not really believing and not sure how you can believe how do we come to a place of belief 
I think that what John writes here is hugely encouraging. He says, to all who did receive him, that's an important word, let's put that one down. To all who did receive him. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When this verse says, to all those who believed in his name, what it's saying literally is all those who are believing, all those who are having an ongoing, breathing, continuing personal relationship with Jesus, all those who are believing. There's an emphasis on the ing. It's an ongoing process. What this verse is saying is, receive him, receive the light, receive the word, receive Jesus, and he will work the, the believing in you. He'll work the believing in you. Working ourselves up into belief is hard. It's actually impossible to try and convince yourself to believe something. But receiving is easy. All we need to do is open our eyes, open our arms, and ask. And that's what this passage tells us. If you will receive him, receive the word, receive the light, he'll work belief into you. He'll bring you into relationship with himself. Do this and you become a child of God. Become a child of God, you'll discover who you're really meant to be. You'll become a witness, as John was, to the light that is real, the origin of all things, and inextinguishable. Let's read our next verses. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Finally, in verse 17 of the passage, the word is named. John names him as Jesus. He is the word become flesh. I like the way that some modern interpreters translate that phrase. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God himself became human and lived amongst humans. Now, that is really hard to grasp. How is it that God become, becomes human, God takes on flesh and lives amongst humans? It's the mystery of the incarnation, as it's called. It's something really hard to get our minds around, something really hard to grasp. How could God become human being and live amongst human beings? It's this massive, profound, deep truth which 
John is painting a picture of here in his first chapter of his gospel. And an analogy which I read recently really helped me to think about this. It's, it's like when you're having thoughts about something and somebody else says to you, what are you thinking? The thoughts going on inside your head can be extremely vivid and real and powerful, but they don't mean anything to anyone else until they are articulated, put into words, expressed in a way which others can hear, understand and respond to. To be known, our inaudible thoughts have to be put into audible words. Now, the way that John describes Jesus in this chapter is something like that. The Word, the Word, has made the invisible God known. How can we know God? We know God through his Word. He has spoken through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who took on human flesh, moved into the neighbourhood and dwelt amongst us. And Jesus did this in order for us to know God. This isn't just about knowing someone else's innermost thoughts. This is about knowing God. This is why God has done it. This is God's amazing gift to us. Now, previously, God hadn't been silent. God had spoken. He'd spoken through the prophets. He'd spoken through his servants. It says here in this passage that he'd spoken through Moses. The law was given through Moses that God spoke to Moses, revealed his will to him. Moses wrote down the law of God on stone tablets and taught them to the people of Israel. God spoke through his servant Moses, but now God himself has come down. Now God himself has moved into the neighborhood. Now we don't rely on Moses or the law given through Moses. Now we rely on the word himself, the living word, the light, Jesus. And Jesus has done this so that we might discover who we are truly meant to be. Augustine, the great teacher from the early church, said this, God became human so that humans could become again, in reality, human. Why did God take on human flesh? Why did God move into the neighborhood? Why did the Word live amongst us? It was in order that we might become fully human again. So we could find out who we're truly meant to be. We could understand our purpose in life and find purpose in life, that we could find a true and better word and live according to that. This is what is an offer. This is the gift of grace that God has given himself to us so that we might be his children. In uncertain times, the gift of knowing who we are is absolutely priceless and to know that we are children of God is a gift of grace beyond all measure. In Jesus, God has spoken a true and better word which makes this possible. An illustration I read which again helped me to think about what this means in reality is if you watch classic western movies, maybe not so much in fashion now, but sometimes quite fun. Classic Western movies, the hero always comes from outside of town. The plot line of a classic Western normally is that trouble brews, brews up in the town. The, the bad guys take over. The, the, the bad gang get control. They start to intimidate, manipulate, bully, 
and take over the town. And then the hero comes riding in. Clint Eastwood, or whoever it might be, comes riding into town. A stranger appears. You're not around from around these parts, are you, stranger? And the hero comes walking in. Now, we need outside help. We need someone to move into our neighbourhood and sort out the bad guys. That's what happens in the Western movie. The hero comes from out of town. He sorts out the bad guys. We need someone who is true and better. And Jesus, the living word, is that hero. Jesus is the one who has come from outside town. He's moved into the neighbourhood. He's sorted out the bad guys. He's made a way for us to become children of God. He's made a way for us to find purpose and meaning in life. He's spoken a true and better word to us. So what should we do in response to this? These claims, these claims that Jesus is the true and the better word, these claims that Jesus is the origin of all things, the Genesis, the one by whom and through whom all things were created, the claim that Jesus is the light which shines, the darkness hasn't overcome it, the inextinguishable light that goes on shining. What do we do? Well, we're to do what this passage urges us. Receive Jesus today. Remember, receiving is easy. We open our eyes to the light. We open our arms to his embrace. We receive him and he works believing in us. Receive him today, whether for the first time, maybe you're sitting at home and for the first time you feel in your heart that real desire to believe, what you need to do is to receive. Look to Jesus. Or maybe for the thousandth time, heard messages like this again and again, but today once more you need to open your eyes, open your hands and receive Jesus, the light of the world, the true and better word. Let's step into the light and be children of God. Believe him to be the true and better word that you need to hear. Let's pray. Jesus, eternal word, creator of all, light of all mankind, I receive you today. From you is grace upon grace. By you I am declared a child of God. Words become flesh, live with me today. Make God known to me and let me live in the light. Let your light shine in our world through the witness of your people. In our neighbourhoods would you be known. You are the true and better words. By your grace I am believing this word today. Amen.